Hello, and welcome to What the Denmark, the show that explains things that seem peculiar as an outsider in Denmark. I'm Sam. And I'm Josefina. Each episode, we'll discuss a new topic, talk to experts, and try to understand why something so normal in Denmark is confusing to foreigners. Despite living abroad for many years, I'll be giving the inside view of Danish culture. And as you can probably tell from my accents, I'm originally from the UK, and so we'll be giving the outsider view of the country. Our ultimate goal is to resolve cultural confusion in Denmark. This show is just one part of that mission, and so stick around to the end to hear about how you too can be involved. Getting a job in Denmark is a big step in terms of settling in the country. But it's not just non-Danes who have to worry about this. In these next two episodes, we're going to be doing a deep dive on how to get a job in Denmark. In part one, we talk about some of the underlying forces that make Denmark different to other countries when it comes to gaining employment in an organization. And in part two, we go through some really practical tips that all job seekers, whether a non-Dane or not, could benefit from to help stand out from the crowd and ultimately get the job you want. In these episodes, we'll be drawing a lot from an interview I did with Kerry Antuvan, who is based in Copenhagen and whose professional life is all about helping non-Danes settle in Denmark. Kerry Ann from the UK, director of the Welcome Group and uh, founder of English Job Denmark, non-profit uh, organisation, helping internationals here in Denmark. So the, the Welcome Group is sort of more holistically helping internationals come to Denmark and sort of out of that, one of the divisions, should we say, is getting a job and then English Job Denmark sort of arrived. Exactly. Exactly. Cool, cool. Yep. Great. Um, so we're going to talk sort of generally about what do non-Danes need to know mm-hmm. about getting a job in Denmark? What's some advice that you would give? Here in Denmark, the, the, it's very important. Um, there's something that I call the golden rules. Mm-hmm. And those three rules um, are really the nuggets of information that you need to be able to gain employment here. So the three golden rules then. Number one is deliver. So you need to prove that you can do the job and that you can do it 100%. This is due to the sheer volume of applications. 200 applications to every one position. It's a huge amount of work to go through and a lot of applications to go through. If you've only got potentially maybe one to three percent of those that are suitable for the role, as in they meet the prerequisites of the job description. Recruiters or technology they use typically spend seconds scanning applications, simply checking whether they meet the requirements. If, however, you think you'd be a good fit, but for example, only have three years experience rather than five. You can still apply for it, but you've got to do it in a different way. Don't just send the application off. And the reason being, if you send the application off, you're going to end up sandwiched and you're not doing yourself any favours whatsoever. We expand on this point later in the show. Number two is fit. Here in Denmark specifically, fit with a view to showing that you will fit in with the existing team. Now, it isn't in a couple of other places. I've worked in Turkey, I've worked in India, and I've worked in the UK prior to arriving in uh, in Denmark. And in some of those places, as long as you can prove uh, that you can do the job, then you can almost have kind of a booth um, mindset. You go in, you do your work, it doesn't matter who's next to you in the next mm. booth, and then you leave and go home. That's enough. It's never enough here in Denmark. You have to be ready to speak to people on your lunch break. 
Carrie Ann talks about this lady who was struggling to get a job because during interviews, she made it very clear that when she comes to work, she just wants to work, which apparently would have been a big red flag to her prospective Danish employers. So in other cultures, that's actually rewarded, you know, Mm. being first into the office, last to leave and and potentially working through your lunch break is Mm. rewarded. It's a, you're doing a good job. You're showing us that you're committed. But that's actually the opposite here in Denmark, because if you stick out and if you don't take lunch together with your colleagues, they think it's weird. They, They wonder what's going on. No longer are you being rewarded, you're being the odd one out. The first of uh, Karian's three golden rules are, first of all, you need to be able to deliver. And so you should only apply for a job if you can actually do it. And the other is that you need to fit. So you need to be to demonstrate that you can fit in. What do you think to that? I think it's a, it sounds really complex, actually, when you think about it, because first you want to stand out. So you get the job and then next you want to fit in. So you want to be part of the team later on. But first, in order to do that, you need to stand out as an applicant. But I think that uh, that's very specific to Denmark, this whole team mentality. You Mm. have to be one of the team. You have to be friendly. You have to engage in people's personal life uh, once you're at work. Um, Whereas that worker mentality uh, that you see in other parts of the world will just make you look like you don't care about the people around you, that you're not a team player. You don't want to... Uh, to be part of the uh, the culture and the environment. Which is so strange because th- this idea of, you know, you get a job and you come and you do the work, but actually it's so much more. It's like you're joining this new family almost and you've got to, you know, you have lunch together, you talk about, you talk about things and, you know, what they're, what everyone's doing at the weekend. And I can just see that being, you know, if you don't know that and you're coming at this from like, okay, well, to do a job interview or to apply for a job, it's because I want to do the work. And actually, you're missing out on this huge aspect of what it means to get a job in Denmark. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that once you're then working in this Danish position and people are like family at work, then you'll also be confused by the fact that people won't um, mix with you after work. Mm. So a lot of foreigners are very confused by this because they think we're all friends at work. So, of course, we're also friends outside of that. We invite each other for dinner or you might do stuff on the weekend. But the Danes are very much friends at work, but then work and um, private space are separate. Wow. Okay. So let's say um, you were, you had a colleague, let's say that you're working in a company of, I don't know, 40 people. And so this is not somebody in your team, but you know, you've, you've sat together at lunch. It's Saturday afternoon, you're walking down the high street and you see them. Do you stop and chat and say hello? You definitely stop and say hello. But also what you'd find is that that's what you say. You don't then offer to go and have a coffee or Mm. something like that because there's a private sphere and there's a professional sphere Mm. and you don't mix those two. And that can feel very odd to a foreigner who goes to work and feel that they're hanging out with all their friends. They're talking about their private life, their hobbies. They're expected to to chit chat over lunch, but then actually you can't go for a drink at night. You're not likely to to go to the pub as you would in in England, mm. and uh, and you definitely don't invite people along to family parties and that sort of thing. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, there's one other thing that uh, Carrie Ann had in her three golden rules. So Carrie Ann then explains this third golden rule. The third point is stay. So unless you can prove that once you gain employment that you will stay, then you will not be hired. Mm. So stay is really, really important because if you've previously come from a very accomplished position and then due to knockbacks or due to 
your confidence being a little low um, or whatever it could be. Sometimes we start sending applications for, for positions that are potentially under the, the status that we'd normally go for. So that we would call underemployment. I found this really interesting because my instinctive logic says if someone can clearly do the job, then you give them the job. But really what happens with a recruiter is if we see that you're very highly accomplished and you're going for a position that's either a starter position or some kind of unskilled position, then what we feel is, is that you may need the position now, but that you're going to leave again very, very soon after starting. Mm. So what that means is we've got to re-recruit, we've got to retrain. And ultimately what that does is it has a knock-on effect on our team. So mm -hmm. the fit You've got to have all these things in place to be able to gain employment. Yeah, they're trying to be strategic about it because mm. every time they have to recruit, it's a lot of work. And uh, obviously they also have to get the team uh, in shape for having a new team member. So if they can see that someone is overqualified, they probably think, okay, well, that person is going to leave as soon as they have another opportunity. Yeah. It reminds me, have you ever seen uh, American Beauty, the film with Kevin Spacey? It's the one where um, they have the rose petals and it's him having a bit of a midlife crisis. No he quits his job and tries to get employed at the local fast food restaurant. I'd like to fill out an application. There's no jobs for manager, it's just for counter. Good. I'm looking for the least possible amount of responsibility. I don't think you'd fit in here. I have fast food experience. <laughs> yeah, like 20 years ago. It just reminds me of this, hearing this. It makes this, so much sense, idea, you know, yeah. and why should you not be happy with a job, uh, though it might be below your skill level mm. in many ways, if if you think it's a great company and, you know, yeah. and that's the kind of job you want to do. And in, in the situation where you come from abroad, you just want to gain a foothold, don't you? Exactly. And, and I think we'll maybe talk about this a bit later, but... A lot of people struggle to come in at the same level that, that they were back home. And so then they're kind of kind of in this trap of, well, I can't get the jobs in Denmark because I don't have the Danish context. But then even when I try and go a few levels below, people won't have me because they think I'm overqualified. And so people just end up getting stuck. It's a real catch-22 situation. Yeah. With this foundational understanding, I was curious to hear what practical things can be done to make job success a reality. We spoke about one of Carrie-Anne's clients, a really competent Spanish guy who had worked at NASA in the USA. He was working within aerodynamics. So actually the perfect place because, you know, we have Vestas and we have a lot of industry here dealing with, with aerodynamics and that, that could see his skills as, as very useful. But he was just not hearing back from any of these applications. His hundreds of applications. And this is the first problem, what carrie Ann calls a scattergun approach. Mm. As long as I keep firing, something's going to stick. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, and especially here in Denmark, he'd sent out a couple of hundred applications um, and received zero response. A couple of hundred? With the sheer volume of other applications recruiters were reading, you need to write one that is going to stand out. Having a more or less copy and paste cover letter isn't going to do it. Don't worry. We cover more practical ideas later. The next problem was his communication. So they'd been out and, and done these various things, very highly accomplished. Um, but unfortunately, he had a CV that was almost too big for Denmark. Um, hmm. it, 
it boasted his accomplishment. There's a huge English speaking culture. But yeah, the way they communicate and, and really they the way they work together is very, very different to different cultures, to different societies. Um, and one of the biggest differences is hierarchy. So here in Denmark, we, we talk about the group, we talk about them. Um, it's a very flat structure. If you're communicating in a style the recruiter doesn't recognize, then straight away, instead of being part of the group, mm. you're indicated as being somebody outside of the group. This story, thankfully, has a happy ending. Carrie Ann spoke with him, understood his motivations, and helped reframe his communication style. Then change started happening. Um, okay. He'd gone from having zero interviews to having three within the same week. Um, and, and he was crazy. hired within two weeks of us working together. That's you, a lovely story. Isn't it? That's a really lovely story. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that. Totally. Yeah. Because basically abroad, you'd normally find that you want to stand out. You want to talk about your achievements. That's what the CV is for. That's what the apl- application is for. But the Danes don't like that. They are looking for team players. And a team player in their mind is someone who is part of the group and who can excel together with the group, not on their own. When I was, uh, you know, finished university and was seeking out advice for how to write my first CV, it was always, I achieved this. I led this. Thing. I did this. I did this. And it was almost as if if you don't do that, then the recruiters are going to be like, well, what's this guy done? Like, exactly. why, should, why should we, you know, he doesn't seem very competent. And this idea of, I don't know, you come to work almost as more of an individual endeavour. Um, whereas this, this idea of you come to Denmark, you're actually joining the team and we need, yeah, we need this to be a cohesive unit that does it, that works together. So how do you boast without boasting? Gosh, well, I think what Carrie Ann was saying, which got me was, was this is, I contributed to a team that did this or something like that. Exactly. So it's very important to show that you lift together with others and you help others excel. That way you're seen as a team player in the Danish context. I do think it's a real shame that we are so scared of talking about our achievements in Denmark and celebrating others' achievements. It's as if, you know, we don't like people who dare talk about their success. But that is the reality. And that's the reality Mm. you have to deal with when you apply for jobs. And, and this comes from Yantelow, is it? The, the, the Yantelow. So the Yantelow, yes, the law, which is about not showing off, basically. Yeah. Well, and don't think you're something special because yeah. you're not. Okay. And for a brief summary of Yantelow, here are some clips from an excellent explainer video made by BBC Ideas, which we will link to in the show notes. Yantelow started off as a work of fiction as a satire on small-town Scandinavia in the 1930s. It was part of a novel by Axel Sandemoser. He called the town Yente, but uh, it was based on Nykøbing. He thought about the mentality that he felt there was there and crystallized it in this concept of Jentelon. Anything you do that seems out of the ordinary or ambitious or not conforming would be sort of punished by the community looking down on that. Now, he meant it as a satire. Over time, over the decades, it's almost become like uh, an informal Scandinavian Ten Commandments. The satire aspect has almost been forgotten and people kind of think it is how they should behave. And I can imagine if that's just part of your culture from a very young age, the whole time, you are not special, you are not special, you are not special. Or whatever. Maybe I'm simplifying it, but... 
And it's difficult for a lot of people who do have an urge to do something special, who do stand out in this society. I know of a lot of Danes who never felt they fitted in and then they'd go to Italy or to the States and suddenly they were, you know, a shining light there because there you could celebrate that they were someone boisterous and special. Mm. Um, But in Denmark, they just stood out as a show off. Mm. They were sort of told to get back in their box. Sort of. That's how people mm. reacted to them. So anyways, the advice is don't um, try to stand out as a lonely high achiever. Make sure that you say that you're someone who can do really well within a team setting, but who also is exceptionally skilled and knowledgeable within mm. that profession. Yeah. The other thing which I got from this was the uh, this guy was sending hundreds of applications and just basically copy and paste, copy and paste. And then as soon as he goes from spending, you know, five minutes doing a cover letter to actually spending an hour doing it, suddenly that jumps out. I mean, you you sit on the other side of, of the table here, Josephine. What's your experience been reading cover letters and things? Yeah, I've received hundreds and hundreds of applications for jobs that have been listed, but also just applications for jobs that might come about. And uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of international applicants, they don't read up on the company before sending and composing their application. What, what, what makes you say that? Basically, that when I read their applications or their cover letters, sometimes they might even write Mr. to me because they haven't even looked up whether I'm a woman or a man, mm-hmm. which obviously immediately means it's thrown into the bin because I only want to invite people in that are interested in what the purpose of my company is and who are really dedicated to what we're trying to achieve. And of course, if I was in a situation that very few people applied for the jobs, then maybe it would be a different situation. But it's a very competitive job market. And uh, therefore, it's, it's really important to target your application well. You need to tailor make it to each company. And you need to think really carefully about what do you add to that company? What can you bring to that company? Why is that vision relevant to you? Where do you stand out within that context? So that is key. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and you're wasting the the company's time. Mm. I think the the thing which I've only sort of started to realise from being on the other side in terms of employing people is, yes, there might be lots of applications out there, but there really are a very few, very small number that actually stand out. And so you might be thinking, oh gosh, I've got to apply for this thing. There's going to be thousands of other applicants. I can tell you there'll be a handful who will actually call the recruiter or there'll be a handful who actually can speak to somebody else at the company and do these things. And those people really will. If you've got an ocean of mediocre cover letters, I really think that it is worth doing that extra mile because when you do, you're totally going to stand out. Now, one thing which I did want to talk to you about, Josephine, is um, photos on the CV. So this is something where I've noticed it quite a lot in terms of people who have applied um, to jobs that I've, I've posted and they, they'll include a, a, a picture on their CV and it's just totally normal behaviour and that is like sacri- no, not sacrilegious you would never do that in the UK and I think more and more it, it just it feels 
like it'll be a bit outdated soon. Why wouldn't you do that in the UK? In the UK, why would you not do that in the UK? I think it's a bit unprofessional, I guess. Vain, maybe? Maybe vain, yeah. That you're showing a photo of yourself think, and not your skills? So I think I could, it's, part, it's partly that. Um, and, you know, obviously if you're an actor, actors often have like a headshot with them. But if you're sort of going to do an office job, you wouldn't. But I think that the, the main thing is that it seems unfair in that there are lots of hidden biases that, that employers have when hiring people. And often in, in companies in the UK, not only will you not have a photo, you won't even have the person's name. Because if you see a name that comes from, which hints at a particular background, that might start conjuring up all things of, oh, you know, all Spanish people are lazy or all Australian people like to drink too much and therefore you're going to be put off from it. And so it's even got so far as anonymized job applications to make it even fairer. And so then coming to Denmark, like not only have you got your name, but you've got a picture of you. I was just like, oh, that's, it just seems a bit out of place. Yeah, it's it, Denmark is a very small place when it, it it comes to the way we hire people. We would often not even bother listing a job. We would maybe just ask our network and say, do you know of anyone? Mm. And and so it's a very different way of hiring. I would say that the big global companies in Denmark, they do the same thing with their HR recruitment. Mm. Jobs are often put into a pile They're anonymous, so you don't know what the ethnicity, the gender, the nationality of the applicant is. And then they're sifted through by experts who know what to look for and who are also aware that different nationalities would write differently in their applications. Mm. But that said, all of the smaller companies in Denmark or um, large Danish companies, often a lot of the positions are filled with people that someone knew or it's a network. Someone knows someone who knows someone. And that could be via LinkedIn, but also it's just word of mouth. So as an international, if you come into Denmark and you don't know anyone, then it's very difficult to to be found, basically, mm. by this network. Um, so how do you plug into that network? That is a big challenge and opportunity. And um, and I think there are lots of different ways of, of doing that. And I one of them is to to try to connect through LinkedIn and by calling around. And a lot of people will ignore you, but there will also be people who would like to help you. So, for example, write um, a nice short message saying, I think what your company is doing is incredible. I am looking to work within that industry, just trying to find my way. Would you have time to drink coffee with me? Don't expect that person to give you a job, hmm. but do expect that person, if they reach out to you, to give you an opportunity to to talk about your ambitions, your skills, your situation. They might know someone who knows someone who can mm -hmm. help you. And, um, and if they're already the kind of person who has answered your mail, mm -hmm. though they don't know you already, they're likely to be a really good person to know because they're open-minded enough To, to try to help you and so, to see totally. the potential in you. At this stage, some people might be thinking, okay, well, it's all well and good. Lots of internationals wanting to get jobs in Denmark because Denmark is awesome after all. But you know what? There's a Danish way to hiring and working and maybe it's best you just leave it to us. To explore this point, I spoke with Nikolai Lubansky, 
Executive Marketing and Talent Director at Copenhagen Capacity. Copenhagen Capacity is the formal investment promotion agency of Greater Copenhagen. That means we work to brand Greater Copenhagen around the world and we attract investors and um, businesses, companies and talent to Denmark, but with a close focus on assisting the companies in finding the talent internationally that they cannot find in Denmark. And just a point of clarity, despite the name, this is not just a capital city thing. When it comes to attracting talent, it's the, it's all of Denmark because then we have mm-hmm. partners all around the country. Nikolai and his team work with Danish-based companies who are looking to recruit internationally. This can be for a number of reasons. The first is to access export markets. If you're looking to enter, say, the Turkish market, then hiring somebody from Turkey will certainly help. Most corporates operate internationally and therefore are set up for having internationals in their team. But there's another breed of company that do this. There's more and more SME or startups that are born global that know that if if we are developing our company here, from the very beginning, we need to have an international outview. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by having that, they are much more uh, keen on having internationals on board for the very beginning. Part of Nikolai's work is to encourage more Danish companies to consider hiring from outside Denmark. The two main arguments for this are that lots of research shows that more diverse workplaces are more productive, efficient and innovative, but also that a lot of Danish companies have a set idea that specialised skills need to come from within Denmark. What we hear from a lot of companies focusing on the Danish market, the company is often saying that if we were having access to more specialists, then we could solve even more tasks and grow even more. But often when they they put this concern forward, they often tend to have the idea that they could only hire Danes to become more successful also on the Danish market. Whereas we also try to argue for them, but there's lots of your tasks that are not in direct relations to the customers that could actually easily be covered by internationals. They then bump into a lot of if I should be rough at them saying excuses of why not hiring internationals because we are all Danish companies speak Danish at the lunch table and we need to change all our procedures. But often you see that the companies that would then end up doing it anyway are extremely happy for they they took that step and actually went to the next range in the development of the company and got internationals in. And this is actually where Copenhagen capacity comes in. It is a lot of work to turn a fully Danish operation into one where internationals can fit in. And so Nikolai and his team help with, for example, translating work manuals from Danish to English and other efforts for getting companies to go to the next level. So yes, it's quite a lot of interesting stuff there, I thought. Um, This idea of Danish companies that think internationally, that's what sets them on the next stage for sort of international growth. And studies show that hiring diverse is good for the bottom line. You need diversity in your team to come up with good ideas. And also, if you're going out to a global market, you obviously need people from that market in order to find out what is the product relevant to them. Mm. Uh, I work with a lot of startups and they're very much aware that uh, they need to hire diverse and they put a lot of effort into figuring out how they can create a good environment for diverse teams to to function in? Uh, How do you create a diverse culture? Um, How do you make sure that you're inclusive? And and that's uh, a lot of different things you have to to be aware of. For example, 
but not taking for granted the the Danish humor, the Danish values that you live in, making sure that you were uh, you're open to how other people see the world. Have you seen any startups that do it particularly well? Yeah. yeah, I have seen a lot of startups that do it well, actually. I think that if you're a startup, you are already quite open to creating mm. new ways of working. Whereas if you are an old established company, you also have a very established culture and changing a culture can be quite difficult. Whereas if you are thinking how to do it um, well and diverse from the start, it's easier to create that inclusive environment. Mm. I'm, I'm sort of always taken by this, I guess you call it, a, I'm not sure if it quite classes as a fact, but generally speaking in biology, diversity makes the ecosystem stronger. Correct. Like if, you've got, if you've got a homogenous culture, it might be good in the short term, but it's not the most uh, resilient Whereas if you can be having an ecosystem that can encapsulate and support lots of different inputs, then that's going to make it a more resilient ecosystem. And the sort of the same can be applied when thinking about companies. Totally. And so actually huge companies based in Denmark are thinking about that now. And I think they might have forgotten about that um, mm -hmm. or actually I think it's new for them to think globally in that way because the world has become global in a different way than we saw 10 years ago. So there's huge investments in trying to create new kinds of workspaces that are more inclusive and where uh, you can grow a diverse team. Because, But one thing is that once you get your Spanish NASA expert into the team, uh, for instance, then you also need to be able to create an environment where they thrive. So it's about creating an inclusive environment and and that can be quite difficult because there will be certain ways, certain behaviors, there'll be a certain humor in the team. Uh, there will be that very uh, uh, friendly way of working and expectations that you should chit chat with your colleagues, even mm. though you have a lot of work on. Yeah. And, uh, and, and being aware that people think differently is really important in order to create that inclusive environment. Because if you take for granted that everyone knows that that's, this is just the way it's done, then you're going to fail. And, and also you've, in the case of our friend from NASA, you've, you've missed out on the opportunity to get someone who's worked at NASA. And so, as we've said, there's sort of part, it's partly from the candidate's perspective. So being able to communicate in a way which is uh, more team orientated. But on the other side of the fence, if you're a Danish company, there's suddenly lots of hot international talent out there who are struggling to, to get in. So if you can be the one to say, do you know what, you look great. We're going to spend you know, a couple of weeks or, or a couple of months orientating you, making the effort to make you feel included. And then suddenly you've got people with international experience with all these different views and they'll feel so welcomed into your company that suddenly you've got this, this, yeah, these really impressive people that get to work for you. It's a huge untapped potential that Denmark has ahead of them because there are a lot of internationals here that mm. are currently looking for jobs. So how do we make sure that we meet them in mm. a good way and include them once they do make it into our employment market? Yeah. We hope this has given you some things to think about with regards to getting a job in Denmark. Remember, Head over to listen to part two, where we talk about practical tips for getting a job, 
with more from Kerry-Anne and Nigolai. What we've learned today is that job applications in Denmark have a much greater emphasis on team achievement. And so rather than portraying yourself as a lonely achiever, communicate your contribution in the context of your team's success. We also spoke about how Danish organizations could be missing out from a lot of top international talent simply by the way that non-Danes write their applications. If you are a hiring manager, perhaps think twice next time someone looks like they're bragging. It might just be that they haven't learned how to communicate in the Danish way. As always, you can get links to all the companies and key points from our discussion on whatthedenmark.com. If you've got more to add about the topic or think there's something else we should consider, then please join the conversation on our What The Denmark Facebook page. And if you think a friend could benefit from hearing this show, then please do share it with them. We hope this has given you some inspiration and motivation for getting a job in Denmark. Thanks to everyone who has helped in the creation of the episode, including David Doliak, Guki Gunas-Shivali, Reke Campbell, Andreas Pulston, Kevin Mose, and Tevin Sudi. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're still early in our journey of resolving cultural confusion in Denmark and would love for you to join us by subscribing to the show on your podcast app. If you like this episode, please consider telling a friend about it. And you can also head over to www.whatthedenmark.com to receive our newsletter. Thanks for listening. I'm Josefina Volkvarts. And I'm Sam Floyd. You need to curate your profile. Because <laughs> if you go in there yeah. and just have drinking pictures. Andreas, right? this sounds like you've you've had a purge yeah. recently of all your, your drunken photos. My friends have. <laughs>